Well, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 is our text for this morning. Our study brings us to the third beatitude, or the third beautiful attitude in Jesus' beatitudes here. We've got a lot of ground to cover this morning, so no introduction. We're going to jump right in. Let me encourage you to stand with us if you have the ability this morning. We'll read the Beatitudes in their entirety as we have been, looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Matthew, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pens the following words. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You may be seated. We talked last week, briefly albeit, about paradox. Jesus oftentimes taught using paradox. As he does this morning in our text, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. That's paradox, my friend. That's a statement that does not sit well with our natural thinking. That is a statement that cuts against the grain of of natural understanding. But Jesus oftentimes taught using paradox. As a matter of fact, paradox was one of his often used teaching tools. Jesus was a master teacher. We can learn a lot from his teaching style. We see Jesus using paradox all throughout the Gospels. You'll remember the last will be first, Matthew chapter 20. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. He said whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's antithetical to human reasoning. It's paradox. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Say what? Jesus? He said, the greatest among you will be your servant. Jesus said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then our text for this morning, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Paradoxical statements, they're used by Jesus to grab or to arrest the attention of his hearers. You see, to to say, blessed are the strong and the proud, for they shall inherit the earth, that sounds somewhat natural. But to say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, that's antithetical to human reasoning. You see, Jesus taught principles that were totally foreign to the natural man's understanding. But the words, blessed are the meek, For they shall inherit the earth. They would have been particularly perplexing to Jesus' audience. Why is that, you ask? Why would those words have been particularly perplexing to Jesus' audience? Well, it's important to remember that Jesus is teaching here to a primarily Jewish audience. 
That's, that's who was, was hearing Jesus' sermon on the mount here. And those were the same Jews who had been under the heavy-handed, oppressive rule of Rome for almost over a century. They had long expected a Messiah that would swoop in and at last give the Jewish people their rightful place in the world, a position above all other people, because after all, they were the chosen people of God. They expected a materialistic kingdom that would be inaugurated by a Messiah's victorious military conquest over Rome. In other words, that Jesus would come in and he would waylay Rome and he would exalt Israel. That's what they were expecting. The last thing that the Jews would have expected was a meek Messiah that taught his kingdom was not of this world and it was to be inherited and inhabited by the meek. That makes no sense. It makes no sense in light of their expectations. But meekness and humility and lowliness of spirit were the very attitudes that Jesus taught and practiced. You see, the idea of a meek Messiah leading meek people was far from their concept of the Messianic kingdom. The Jews understood military power. The Jews understood miracle power. As a matter of fact, many of them saw that as they they followed Jesus around through his earthly ministry. They saw Jesus perform miracles. They understood military power. They understood miracle power. But they did not understand the power of meekness. Jesus turned their thinking upside down when he said the meek will inherit the earth. Well, how are we to understand meekness? What is the meaning of meekness in the text here? As with our previous studies, we want to make sure that we understand the meaning of Jesus' words. Words are important. Words are important because they're what God uses to communicate truth. And so we want to build our understanding of meekness by looking first at what it's not. Sometimes it's better to explain what something is by first explaining or thinking about what it's not. Let's do that this morning as it concerns meekness. Meekness, first of all, is not, it's not weakness, although that's oftentimes how it's understood. Meekness is not weakness. It's not cowardice. It's not timidity. It's not cowering in fear. Matter of fact, meekness is quite compatible with great strength and ability. But whatever strength a person has, it's to be accompanied by a humility and a genuine dependence upon God. So meekness is not weakness. Meekness is very compatible with strength, but that strength must exercise humble dependence upon God. Meekness is an indecisiveness. It's not wishy-washiness. It's not a lack of conviction or a lack of confidence. Meekness isn't the person that doesn't know what to do next. It's not what meekness is. Meekness isn't shyness. It's not a description of just simply an introverted uh, or a reserved personality. It's not just the person who doesn't say much. Meekness isn't simply niceness. We see that in our culture a lot of times. We see the, the, the nice person. That person's equated with meekness. Meekness isn't weakness. It's not cowardice. It's not timidity. It's not indecisiveness. It's not wishy-washiness. It's not a lack of conviction or confidence. It's not shyness or simply a description of a reserved personality. And it's not simply niceness. The word meek here in the original language is the word praus. It carries the idea of gentleness. When you think meekness, think gentleness. Think kindness. Think mildness. Think benevolence. Gentleness, kindness, mildness, benevolence. 
Matter of fact, in classical Greek, it was sometimes used to describe the word meekness, sometimes used to describe uh, a soothing medicine or a soft breeze. It was also used to describe a, a colt or other animal whose naturally wild spirits were broken by a trainer so that they could now perform useful work. Meekness. As a human attitude, it means being gentle in spirit, being submissive, being quiet and tender hearted. We'll flesh that out some more as we go. But hopefully a picture is beginning to be painted in your mind here. Meekness is most often used in the Bible to describe a subservient and trusting attitude before God. A submission and a humble trust in God. Meekness is to be understood first as a a vertical virtue and then a horizontal virtue. It's first and foremost the characteristic that makes a believer bow low before God. It's humility. You think meekness, probably the closest English synonym would be humility. Meekness and humility, that vertical virtue that causes a believer to bow low before God. Remember, we're we're looking at at Jesus' words here in in the Beatitudes, but we have to remember that Jesus' words carry a a progression or a flow of thought. Remember what the first Beatitude was? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are beggarly poor, who understand that they have nothing intrinsically in themselves with which they can commend themselves to a thrice holy God. They're completely dependent upon Him for mercy, completely dependent upon Him for grace. Completely dependent upon him for the salvation of their souls. That is what it means to be poor in spirit. Similarly here, Jesus is saying that we are to be meek. We are to be characterized. Believers are to be characterized by a humble attitude, first and foremost vertically, first and foremost in our relationship with God, secondarily in our relationship with others. The characteristic that drives us to humbly trust God in every circumstance, which, as we'll see, also has bearing on how we relate to others. Think about meekness here. Meekness, then, it's the opposite. It's the opposite of self-righteousness. It's the opposite of arrogance. It's the opposite of haughtiness or smugness or defensiveness. Now, think about the last 168 hours, my friends. How many of us have struggled with those? That desire to be defensive. That desire to be proud. Putting it positively, meekness is unpretentiousness or unimpressiveness. It's a person who's unimpressed with themselves. All too often, we are far too impressed with ourselves. We know what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, right? It talks about being renewed in your thinking. You know what Romans 12, 3 says? You see, oftentimes we, we have these, these key verses in Scripture that we, that we memorize, but we, we fail to look above and below them. Romans 12, 3. Paul says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of grace that God has given you. Whoa, we are so tempted to think of ourselves as being impressive. We're so tempted to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Meekness is sweetness. It's the grace to be self-effacing. Another way to say that would be modest. To have a modest temperament, a modest spirit. 
Meekness is having a true view of yourself that's expressed in attitude and conduct with respect to others. Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you haven't gotten a copy of Martin Lloyd-Jones' commentary on the Sermon on the Mount yet, let me encourage you to get a copy of that as soon as possible. You'll be thoroughly edified and encouraged, I promise. This is what Jones says. He says, the man who is truly meek or the woman who is truly meek is the one who is truly amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. The meek man or the weak woman is absolutely astounded that God would think of him or her and treat him or her as well as he does. Meekness might best be described, you might jot this down somewhere, as power under control. Far from weakness, meekness is better described as power, but power under control. Or power that's surrendered to God's control. And a meek person, a meek person is absolutely unaware of their own meekness, as a matter of fact. Just like a humble person is is unaware of their own humility. It's that virtue that one doesn't feel. Because if you think you have it, you've already lost it. Like humility. Once you think you're humble, you've already lost it. It has slipped through your fingers like sand at the seashore. The moment you become conscious of meekness or you're looking around to see what people think about you or what they're saying about you, whatever meekness might have been there evaporates in an instant. Meekness then is is having zero self-thought of yourself. It's not thinking about you. It's thinking about Christ and serving the needs of others. Not thinking about you. This is a very challenging subject for us all because we are great at thinking about ourselves. Matter of fact, we come from the womb naturally wired to think about ourselves. Psalm 51, David says, Surely I was sinful sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You put two two two-year-olds in a room with two or three Skittles on a table, and what happens? You see the sinful nature come surging forth. It's mine, it's me, it's my No sharing, no thinking about others. We are born, fallen with a natural disposition to think about ourselves, to look out for number one. But meekness forgets about self. It forgets about self. And friends, don't we have a great model of meekness? We do, do we not? In the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus oftentimes refused to reveal his complete identity to crowds that followed him. Matter of fact, Jesus would oftentimes conceal himself uh, from others so that they did not, at an inappropriate time, have too exalted a view of him. Uh, Paul, speaking about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, said, He, Jesus, made himself nothing. You see, his demeanor was the opposite of smugness. Jesus' demeanor was the opposite of harshness, the opposite of hardness, the opposite of irritability, the opposite of haughtiness. Meekness is the last thing that people would expect from Jesus, the Messiah. They were looking for a conquering military king. But here strolls on the scene a meek Messiah, riding into Jerusalem on the back of a colt, being crucified on a Roman cross to help us understand that his kingdom is not of this world. And those that will inherit it and those that will inhabit it are those who bear his likeness particularly meekness. 
meekness. Jesus hadn't come to be an assertive, charismatic, stunning, military renegade who would draw attention to himself by the masses. As a matter of fact, Isaiah writes this about Jesus. He was like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. In the New Testament, Jesus is our perfect example of gentleness, mildness, meekness. Jesus spoke of himself in in familiar language to probably most of us when he said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus said, and learn from me, for I am gentle. That's praus. I'm meek. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said of himself, I'm the meek one. I'm the gentle one. Come to me and learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Think about a yoke for a second, friends. Get the picture in your mind. Think about a wooden yoke for a moment. A yoke is essentially a wooden harness that was placed around the neck of two animals that joined them together for common work. To see animals yoked together in the fields, that would have been an absolute everyday occurrence in the first century. I mean, you you could not look to the right or the left without seeing an oxen in a field, two oxen in a field, yoked together with a wooden harness for common work. It was an absolute everyday picture. And so Jesus, being a master teacher, he uses paradox, but he also paints pictures that we might understand. He uses a picture of an everyday occurrence to help us understand something about what it means to be yoked to him. He said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. See, Jesus is intentionally using imagery that would have been very familiar to his audience. Oftentimes, a farmer would yoke a younger, untrained ox to an older, more trained ox so that the younger would learn how to follow the direction of the master. You're starting to get the picture here that Jesus is painting for us? As we're yoked together with Christ, who is perfectly meek, we learn how to exemplify meekness that pleases God. You see, Jesus, in many ways, was like velvet steel. Jesus was not a meek, or not a weak man, rather. Far from weakness. think Think about Jesus, velvet steel. He never responded in a retaliatory or vindictive manner. He was always mild and meek, but he was very much in control. Meekness is power, but it's power in control, and we see that exemplified in Christ, do we not? We see Jesus' velvet-like attitude when he was mistreated. Now, when, when Judas kissed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus was arrested and taken off to be tried before he was crucified, Jesus called him a friend. That's meekness. That's meekness. He was just betrayed. Jesus calls him a friend in Matthew 26. When Jesus' friends betrayed him and they fled, they ran away from him. When his disciples deserted him, Jesus uttered no reproach against them. That's meekness. When Jesus was mocked and he was spit on, Matthew chapter 26 tells us that he uttered not a word. Meekness. Put yourself in these positions and ask yourself, how would I respond? When Jesus was confronted by Pilate, he was silent, like a sheep before the shearers. He uttered not a word. 
When Peter denied him, Jesus restored Peter to fellowship and service. He loved him. uh, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Peter, do you love me? You know I do, Lord. And Jesus restores him to service. Meekness. And at his death, Jesus, looking out at at the masses, at the eyeballs that were looking back at him from below the cross, Jesus uttered those words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's meekness. That's Jesus' velvet-like temperament. But we see Jesus, we see the steel of Jesus at times as well, do we not? At other times, when it came to matters of truth, when it came to critical matters of truth, Jesus was like steel. He rebuked the Pharisees' hardness of heart because they rebuked him for healing a withered man's hand on the Sabbath. He said, how dare you? How dare you? You hard-hearted people. Jesus was angered when his disciples tried to prevent little children from coming to him. Far be it from you, let the little children come to me. Jesus was like steel in that moment. How about when Jesus drove the money changers from the temple? I mean, tables got turned over. It would have been a sight to have beheld. Jesus like steel, but it was power under control. Jesus called Peter Satan when he tried to deter him from his heavenly mission. You see, there were times where Jesus was like velvet and times like when Jesus was like steel. Think about Jesus for a moment. Again, Isaiah refers to Jesus as a root out of dry ground. He, he, Jesus appeared first to shepherds and then to kings. He died on a cross, the very last place that sophisticated people would have looked for a display of God's power. You see, Jesus was the embodiment of meekness. Power under control. Gentleness, kindness, benevolence. I think there's two ways in which we, friends, demonstrate meekness. Number three on your outline, if you're taking notes, is this. Meekness is demonstrated inwardly by us toward God. Meekness is demonstrated inwardly by us toward God. Meekness is a grace of the soul that exercises itself first and chiefly towards God. It's a temper of spirit which actively submits to God and chooses to receive his dealings with us, whatever they may be, as for our good, without murmuring, without disputing, without resisting. Two ways in which I think our meekness is demonstrated inwardly toward God. Number one, You can jot this in the blank there. Meekness is seen in glad submission to God's sovereign will and providence in your life. Meekness is demonstrated by you and by me, friends, believers, by our glad submission to God's sovereign will and prerogative in our lives. In other words, whatever God chooses should be my lot. Whatever God desires should come to pass in my life that I receive it with glad submission. That's a meek response toward God. Meekness towards God includes submitting to God's sovereign providence in your life without getting angry or resentful, without turning back to God and saying, how could you, how dare you, why would you allow these circumstances to come to pass in my life? When we point the finger at God, meekness has gone out the door. 
Meekness is humbly submitting to God's wise and good providence in our life, whatever that providence may be, without resisting, without murmuring or complaining. We see meekness exemplified in the life of Job, just to kind of flesh this out for you here. After his possessions and his children were killed, when the house they were eating in collapsed on top of their heads, we see Job responding meekly toward God. We see, we see Job submitting to God's providence as he asks the question, shall we receive good from God and not receive evil? That's a meek response. When you think about difficult and trying circumstances in your life, do you respond meekly towards God? Should we receive the good and not receive the bad? That's a meek response. That's a humble response. Later on, Job said this. He said, though he, God, slay me, yet I will rejoice. Yet I'll trust in him. Do we share this attitude of meek submission to God's sovereignty in our lives? Joseph, another clear picture in Scripture, was also submissive to God's providence in his life. After having been thrown into a pit by his brothers, he was left for dead, sold into slavery, arrested under false accusations. But he saw God's hand in his trials. Genesis 50-20. You don't have it memorized. Memorize Genesis 50-20. Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, the meek person sees past the surface events, sees past the surface actions of people and allows God to do what God wills in their lives without grumbling or complaining, without accusing God of wrongdoing. That's meekness towards God. It's a humble submission to his wise and good providence in your life, even when you don't think his providence is wise and good. The meek person sees God behind the trials, behind the tragedies, and doesn't live with bitterness or resentment or apathy or self-pity. Those are all the opposite of meekness. If we resent God, if we're apathetic, if we, if we wallow in self-pity, that's the, that's the opposite of a meek response towards God's wise hand and his wise prerogative in our lives. Meekness says, not my will, but yours be done. Meekness whispers through its confusion. Meekness whispers through its pain. Meekness whispers through its tears, God, I trust you, even though I can't see the end. That's what it looks like to respond to God in meekness, at least insofar as his wise providence in your life is concerned. I think there's a second way, though, in which we respond to God in meekness, and I think we see that in humble submission to God's authoritative word. Not only his wise providence in your life, how you respond to it, but how do you respond to his authoritative word in your life? You respond with meekness, or do you, res do you respond with a balled-up fist? You see, as believers, we must be willing to let the word of God exercise complete control over our lives. The word of God is authoritative, not you and not I. The word of God dictates what is righteous, not you and not I. 
He is spiritually meek or she is spiritually meek who conforms himself to the mind of God and does not quarrel with the instructions of his word. Oh, but we do that at times, do we not? We quarrel with him over the instructions of his word. We question him. We question his word. Meekness is the attitude of submitting to God's authority over your life. You see, meekness is required in all of our decisions as, we're, as, we, as we increasingly become willing to, to lay ourselves before him and to learn from him concerning our marriages, parenting, finances, the handling of difficult trials and the handling of difficult people in our lives. Where will you go? Well, God's authoritative word is where you should go and you should submit yourself to its counsel without quarreling against it. It's challenging, friends. It's challenging for me. God's spirit turns proud, self-sufficient people into humble learners with teachable spirits. Do you have a teachable spirit? That's a display of meekness. A teachable, humble spirit. A learner of God's word who receives his authoritative, his divinely inspired authoritative word as being sufficient for my life. Is that you? Friends, we have a book filled with God's answers for all of life, but only the meek are really teachable and willing to hear God and apply his word to their lives. Are you demonstrating meekness insofar as God's divine providence is concerned in your life? In those things that God allows to come to pass, are you responding with meekness? And then are you receiving his authoritative word with meekness? The opposite would be to be rebellious, to be rebellious. Meekness is demonstrated first and foremost inwardly toward God, but we see meekness also as we're growing in a a meek response to God, we're also growing in a meek response to others. What God is working inwardly is being worked out of us. Number four in your outline there is meekness is demonstrated outwardly towards others, toward others. You ever notice that we're usually pretty meek until someone crosses us or criticizes us or slanders us or insults us? It's easy to be meek when those things aren't taking place. But let somebody speak about you behind your back and meekness goes out the window. Let someone insult you and you find out about it and now you struggle to be meek. Meekness allows other people to put the searchlight on you instead of you casting the light on yourself. Here's what I mean by that. We are more than content to condemn ourselves. We are more than content to talk about our own sin. We are more than content to see ourselves as being poor sinners. But the true test of meekness isn't whether or not you see yourself as a wretched, despicable sinner, but when someone else tells you that you are a wretched, despicable sinner. That's the test of meekness. How do you respond? It's easy to see your own sin, but when someone throws the searchlight on your sin, how do you respond? That's the true test of meekness. We get all tied in a knot when someone else speaks of our failures. You see, the meek person, the meek person isn't easily angered. The the meek person isn't easily provoked. A meek spirit, like, like wet tinder, like wet firewood, isn't easily set ablaze. You have a short fuse or a long fuse, friends. Meekness is synonymous with a short fuse. Or a long fuse, rather. 
that you're not easily set ablaze like wet tinder. You're not easily angered, not easily provoked. Like a bridle in a horse's mouth controls his movements, meekness serves as the bridle for our attitudes and our actions and our words. Think about how you speak. Think about how you act. Think about your attitudes. Is meekness the bridle that controls them? Meekness is the person that is ready, aim, fire, instead of fire, ready, aim. And all too often, we are the fire, ready, aim man, or we are the fire, ready, aim woman. And meekness isn't the bridle of our attitudes, actions, and our words. Think about our egos, folks. We all have one. We all have an ego. We all love ourselves. We don't have any problem loving ourselves. Our problems in relationships come trying to love someone who is not like us because we have no problems loving ourselves. But we find it difficult to love those who are not like us. We have an ego. Jones, again, Martin Lloyd-Jones notes that as a result of the fall, absorption with self is one of the greatest curses in life. We're all wrapped up in ourselves. I mean, this has implications for everything, even our evangelism. I've mentioned multiple times, one of the reasons that I think we miss so many evangelistic opportunities isn't because they're not right in front of us. It's because we're all wrapped up in ourselves and we just don't see them. It has massive implications in our marriage. When I'm not willing to put my wife before myself, when my wife is not willing to put me before herself, sparks fly. It's all ego-driven. It's, it's what I want. It's me, my, now. When will you serve me? It's the opposite of Philippians chapter 2. Thinking to the interest of others before yourself. And meekness has massive implications for all of life. That ego gets in the way. When the Holy Spirit takes up residency in a person's life, our egos have to go, friends. Our egos have to pack up, pack the bags, and go. You see, it's when our egos get in the picture that we begin to be consumed with ourselves. We begin to to have this massive need to draw attention to ourselves. We want to be seen by others. We want to be thanked by others. We want to be served by others. It's because our ego's gotten in the way, and we all have one. We all have one. We've got to wake up every morning and put it to death, right? You see, the meek person isn't proud. The meek person doesn't glory in himself. The meek person realizes that there's nothing in himself with which he can boast. Jeremiah tells us this, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom or the strong man boast in his strength or the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. If you want to boast about something, friends, boast in the Lord. Don't boast in your riches. Don't boast in your strength. Don't boast in your personality. Don't boast in your good looks. Don't boast in your position. Don't boast in your prestige. Don't boast in your salary. And we could go on and on and on. It's the opposite of meekness. Meekness forgets about those things and looks towards others as we see exemplified in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, made himself nothing, emptied himself, taking the very form of a servant. That's what meekness does. How are we doing there, friends? How are we doing with meekness in our marriages? How are we doing at meekness with our children? How are we doing with meekness 
with our neighbors and our coworkers. Meekness doesn't make sure that others give us credit for our actions. Oh, we love to get the credit for our actions, right? We love, we love the attaboys. We love the congratulations. We love the pats on the back that someone else would notice what I've done. Meekness forgets about what you've done. There's something about our fleshly nature that craves attention. It craves praise from people. Matter of fact, Jesus took the Pharisees to task over that, right? You whitewashed tombs, you look beautiful on the outside, but inside. He took them to task earlier because they loved the praise of men rather than the praise of God. Paul said, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Oh, how we love, though. Oh, how we love the sweet taste of praise. Ronald Reagan once had a plaque on his desk in the Oval Office that read this. You probably heard the quote before. There's no limit to how far a man can go as long as he doesn't care who gets the credit. See if you see yourself in this list. I certainly see me here. Meekness has nothing to prove. Meekness doesn't need to be seen. Meekness isn't self-promoting. Meekness doesn't have to win. Meekness doesn't know it all. Meekness isn't loud. It doesn't fight for control. It doesn't seek to settle the score. It's not vindictive, and it doesn't desire to pay back. Meekness doesn't harbor bitterness or withhold forgiveness. Meekness doesn't keep relationships at arm's length. Boy, we're masters of that, right? We're like clowns at a circus, We'll let everybody come this far, but what exists between here and my heart is off limits to you. Meekness lays down those guards. Meekness is vulnerable. Meekness is willing to be known, sin and all. Meekness doesn't take sides. Meekness doesn't fish for compliments or attaboys. Meekness doesn't blame others. Or point the finger. Meekness doesn't seek to justify. I'll never forget as a young boy, my dad used to always tell me, nothing counts after but. Because he would be giving me some wise counsel and I would say, yeah, dad, but. And he would shut me off immediately. And I used to, I I couldn't stand that. And he would tell me, son, nothing matters after but. Because whatever comes after the word but is nothing but a justification. Nothing matters after but. Meekness. Meekness doesn't seek to justify. Meekness doesn't make demands. Meekness doesn't claim its own rights. I hope you're seeing the picture of Jesus in all of this. Jesus didn't claim his own rights. Jesus didn't jockey for position. Jesus didn't clinch his own possession with white knuckles. Jesus wasn't defensive. Meekness doesn't worry about what other people think or say about you. Meekness doesn't wallow in self-pity. You see yourself anywhere in there? Well, I sure see myself in there. What hours and years we waste doing all those things. We waste. But as believers, we should be ever-growing in meekness. Remember, to be meek means that we've finished with ourselves altogether. The point of meekness is that it's not focused on self. 
The meek person isn't self-absorbed. The meek person isn't looking out for self. They're not consumed with their own interests. Meekness is a controlled desire to love the interest of others before your own interest. Meekness is a controlled desire to look out for and love the interest of others before your own interests. Friends, let me say just a few brief words here about counterfeit meekness. We need to be careful here. Jeremiah 17 reminds us, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Who can know it? And sometimes what we do, this is counterfeit meekness, is we try to exalt our humility and we try to seek to impress others with our lowliness. You see, the heart is deceitful. I have just said that meekness is forgetting about yourself, that meekness is lowliness. But our hearts are sinful and we can seek to exalt that very lowliness. We can, we can desire and crave that people see us and think that we're meek. If so, we've lost it like sand in our hand at the seashore. It's counterfeit meekness. To want to impress others with our humility, to want to impress others with our lowliness. Let me suggest that if that's, if that's what we're doing, that we're motivated more by fear instead of pleasing God. Anytime we're motivated by what other people think or say about us, we're being motivated by fear rather than what pleases God. When we try to impress others in any way, it's because we're starving for attention. Debasing yourself, speaking negatively about yourself, that's not a virtue. It's actually false humility. It's a defense mechanism to try and garner the approval of others. Friends, don't don't do that. It's counterfeit meekness. It's false humility. Trying to draw attention to your lowliness is not lowliness. Trying to draw attention to our meekness is not meekness. Remember, meekness is forgetting about yourself altogether. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Well, what does the word have to say about meekness? Let me just give you some passages here. You can go back. These might be good quiet time verses for you in the coming days. But what does God's word have to say about meekness, specifically in the New Testament? The word praus, it, it, it is everywhere in the New Testament, as a matter of fact. Uh, we see that meekness is actually a fruit of the Spirit, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, praus. It's right there in Galatians 5, and 23. In other words, we can't produce meekness by ourselves. We can't make ourselves meek. Save God, come in, take up residence, save our otherwise dead, stony, cold hearts, revive us, give us second birth and new life, and his spirit resides in us. We have no hope of meekness. To fruit of the spirit, friends. Meekness is also to characterize our response to God's word. I talked about that already a little bit. It's, it's to characterize our response to God's providence in our life, that which God allows to come to pass in my life, but it's also to characterize how I respond to God's word. James chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Receive God's word with meekness. We're to share our faith with meekness. 1 Peter 3.15, probably a familiar text to many of you. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with praus. Do it with gentleness, meekness, and respect. A spirit of meekness is to characterize our relationships in the body of Christ. Colossians 3, 12, and 13. Paul tells us, this is the whole list of put-ons here. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
and meekness, patience, bearing with one another. We're to help a brother or a sister that's caught in sin with a spirit of meekness or a spirit of gentleness. Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him, but do it in a spirit of gentleness. Same word. Do it in a spirit of meekness. We're to respond to those who oppose God's word. Boy, it won't be long before we come in contact with those, right? Those who oppose God's word, we are to respond to those individuals with a meek spirit. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2, 25, he says, correct your opponents, but do it with gentleness. And God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. In other words, don't get into spiritual arguments, trying to prove spiritual points. We can no more change a dead heart than we could have changed our own in the first place. That's God's work. That's the Holy Spirit's work. But as you conversate with the lost, which we ought to be doing, which we ought to be looking for opportunities to do, we should correct wrong thinking. We should do it with gentleness or meekness. Meekness is a characteristic of that new man that we're called to put on. Meekness is a part of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Remember, we spent a lot of time studying Ephesians chapter 4 talking about the believer's walk, right? Paul tells us how we ought to walk, that we walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And then he goes on and he says, with all humility, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So to walk worthy is to walk in gentleness within the body of Christ, with meekness within the body of Christ. Friends, are we growing in meekness? Are you growing in meekness? I hope you are. I hope you are. Meekness is the the opposite of harshness. It's the opposite of grasping. It's the opposite of vengefulness. It's the opposite of losing control. It's that mildness. It's power. Meekness is not weakness. It's power under control. We see it perfectly exemplified in the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was falsely accused, though he was tried, though he was nailed to a wooden cross for no fault of his own, yet he was meek, yet he was gentle, yet he did not respond and retaliate. He didn't respond in a vindictive manner. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, let me say just a few brief things here about the reward for meekness. The reward for meekness is grand. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here's a helpful translation for you here of verse 5, this third beatitude. It could be translated this way. Blessed are those who are humbly submissive to God and courageously gentle towards others. For they and they alone shall rule and reign with Christ when his earthly kingdom comes. Blessed are those who are humbly submissive to God, his providence in my life, his word, and courageously gentle towards others. For they and they alone shall rule and reign with Christ when his earthly kingdom comes. Friends, are you looking forward to that day? I hope you are. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ savingly, meekness isn't the issue for you. Repentance is. 
Repentance is the issue, that you would turn from your sin, that you would turn from your vain self-striving, that you would turn from trying to garner God's smile and garner God's righteousness and garner God's salvation by any means of your own. It's futile. You can't, my friends. You can't. Step number one is that we come to the cross realizing that we have violated God's righteousness. We violated his holiness and we need his mercy and our grace. And we lay ourselves before the cross and we receive the gift of his son crucified and crushed for us on Calvary's cross as being full and sufficient payment for our sins. Friends, if you don't know Christ, cast yourself upon his mercy and his grace. Friends, if you're here this morning and you know Christ, look to Jesus. He is the perfect, the perfect model of meekness for us.